0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Fantasy Football Today, DFS. My name is Sia Najad. I'm alongside our special guest, Andrew Erickson from Fantasy Pros. And I got to tell you, before I introduce Andrew... I miss you all. I see there's already people in the chat and we haven't been on really since the Super Bowl. So I appreciate you being in the chat. I appreciate you hitting the like button and doing all those fun things. But honestly, I appreciate the the most just kind of being back. Being back, we're gonna be doing our off-season series just like we did last year. And if you recall, Andrew Erickson was one of our guests, not just once, but multiple times on that show. We have some really, really cool guests lined up, but we're gonna be talking so many things. Strategy, of course, DFS strategy, regular fantasy strategy, best ball strategy, but we're also going to be talking about free agency, NFL draft, um, you name it, uh, OTAs. like w- w- We're just going to be talking about all of that stuff, but particularly with a twist, right? With a DFS twist, a DFS impact twist. Without further ado, uh, this is one of my favorite guests, if not my favorite guests that I've, that I've had onto this show. He really is so incredibly bright. Um, he is somebody that if you're trying to get into this industry, I highly suggest you follow him. And you pick his brain because he's very much accessible, um, because he is already a superstar in my eyes, and he's got so many years to continue on an amazing upward trajectory. And I know it sounds like I'm just blowing smoke for my guests, but I absolutely believe it. Andrew Erickson, how are you? Thank you for coming on to the show.
1: Oh, thank you for that amazing introduction. That's getting me hyped up even more to go over the show. And we already got breaking news to talk about. So I'm really excited to be here and thank you enough. For giving me this opportunity to talk fantasy football, DFS, everything that you would want in the middle of March. You know, there is a big basketball tournament going on, but, you know, whatever. We're going to talk about fantasy football.
0: Well, so that's the cool thing is because there's also like I do. You might know this, Andrew. I do a ton of golf content and and we have WGC match play going on right now, which it's funny. You brought up the NCAA tournament because. Match play kind of lends itself to a bracket, like people are filling out a bracket for the what, like there's only one time per year where that happens in golf and it happens to be this week. So there is other stuff going on and, and we know the NBA, of course, the NHL, if you're into that and so many other things, but I think we can all agree there's always an appetite for football and there's always that podcast that pops up and maybe it's this one for everybody where it's like, Hey, let me catch up a little bit. Let me catch up on, on all the moves. And what's really cool. And you mentioned it is. We have breaking news with respect to free agency. Like you know, for we've had it for a week now, but just in the last hour. So let's talk about it real quick, Andrew. Um, a couple of names, but only one that I think is is certainly big and significant when it comes to fantasy or daily fantasy, and that's Elijah Moore. Tell us about what happened.
1: Yeah, so the Jets finally traded away Elijah Moore <laughs> after it seemed like they were going to trade him last year. They didn't trade him. They said they were going to trade him. Clearly, he was on the trade block the entire time. It was all. Uh, it was all fake. So he's been traded to the Cleveland Browns. The Browns sent the Jets a second-round pick. The Jets sent Elijah Moore and a third-round pick. So, look, I think it's great for Elijah Moore's fantasy value. You know, he's getting an upgraded quarterback, regardless of you know whether it was going to be Rogers or Deshaun Watson. Like they're both better than Zach Wilson. So mm-hmm. he's getting the upgraded quarterback. More importantly, he's going somewhere for a team that wants to use him. Like yeah. that's obviously a a plus when your offensive coordinator is actually design plays for you to actually get the football. And I would argue that, I mean, look, he was never going to unseat Garrett Wilson as the number one guy. Like Garrett Wilson is in the Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase. Like that's where he's headed. So yeah. Elijah Moore was never going to get there, but in Cleveland. Okay. Amari Cooper has been very good. He's been consistent, but like, he's never really been like, Oh my God, this guy cannot, this guy can't be unseated as the number one receiver on his offense. Like yeah. even in Dallas, like we saw CD lamb really like start to like eat into him. Not to say that Cooper became totally irrelevant, but you know, he's not this alpha presence where no other receiver can dominate. I mean, even last year, you know, to start the year, him, and Donovan people's Jones, like they were putting up, they were like mirroring their production. So, I think it's a great spot for Elijah Moore. I think that at worst, he's going to slide in as the number two pass catcher on the Cleveland Browns offense. You could see him operate out of the slot in a full-time capacity. We've obviously seen Deshaun Watson work with these explosive slot receivers like a Will Fuller in the past before. And Deshaun Watson really hasn't had a lot of time with a lot of these receivers. So to go into the year and think, oh, well, you know, Cooper is his guy. It's like, well, is he his guy? Because when Watson came back to play, they were all horrible. Uh, up yeah. and down the board, they were all pretty bad as receivers catching the ball from Deshaun Watson. So I think it's a it's a great move for Elijah Moore. Um, I think maybe the market has soured on him enough where he'll still kind of be, in, be a value because of how bad he was last year. But I can't forget the last six games of his rookie year where he was the wide receiver two overall as a rookie. Yeah. Like, I, I don't forget that. And he's still a young player, you know, decorated college profile coming out. It was just a bad situation all around last year. Now he's gone. The situation is different now. So I'm definitely going to be aggressive drafting Elijah Moore because I think that he could really definitely he could be one of those players that really beats his ADP, which is kind of what I'm always looking for with some of these later round wide receivers Mm -hmm. where, yeah, maybe he's not as safe as like an Adam Thielen where, oh, he's going to be the leader in targets like he'll be fine, but is Adam Thielen ever going to crack the top 15? Like probably not. But no. there's a scenario where Elijah Moore could make that massive leap because you've already seen him before do it. And it's a new situation with a better quarterback. So uh, definitely on board the Moore train.
0: Yeah, I I like the Elijah Moore uh play just all around. And for the record, the Jets also picked up, and this was earlier today, McCole Hardman. So that that's interesting. Um I will say this, but you know, from a from a DFS standpoint, I, I understand how ridiculous it is to talk in March about DFS of all things, but you know, this Elijah Moore situation. You know, whether it's, you know, you're talking about ADP, we, we can talk about best ball all we want, but from a DFS standpoint, I imagine, you know, I don't know what their first few weeks are going to look like, but that his price is going to be depressed. And we know what Elijah Moore can do with the football in his hands, especially if we can get him in space and, you know, Deshaun Watson, we might see kind of the old Deshaun Watson now that he's had some games under his belt and, a full off season. So I think, uh, from a DFS standpoint, it, Elijah Moore could be one of those sneaky guys that, that really kind of gets you, um, above the pay line, if you will, uh, early in the season. Um, I'll, I'll note that Austin Hooper also went to the Raiders. Can I just ask you uh, what do you think about the Raiders' moves in general? We're going to talk, by the way, for, for those of you that don't know, we, we are going to talk about the free agency moves um, at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and and, and some of the moves that, that weren't necessarily free agents, but be- moves that affected existing players, whether that's positively or negatively. And we're just going to go down the line real quick. This is going to be super freewheeling. So if you're in the chat, which some of you are, um, definitely ask any questions you have but the Raiders moves have been kind of mysterious to me like I'm not really a Jimmy G guy like I understand you know you, you want to stabilize the quarterback position I, I kind of get it I guess that correct me if I'm wrong they got they picked up Jacoby Myers they paid him I, I don't really have a problem with how much they paid him now they're getting Austin Hooper I, I'm just not sure the Raiders are 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 doing the things that would inspire confidence in a Raiders fan what say you? I think
1: that the, the Raiders are doing what's less likely to get Josh McDaniels fired. <laughs> like, like That's kind of what they're not going. They're not shooting for the moon, which would have been going up to trade for the number one overall pick to get the rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're taking the, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo will get us to the playoffs maybe and make this not a dumpster fire. And that way I'll keep my job. Like that's kind of the way I view it with Josh McDaniels in that pairing there. He obviously knows the system, but like you said like if Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't get it done in the 49ers like I know he was close a couple times but it's not going to be better here and and what I'm really interested in something I actually have to look up is how often has Jimmy Garoppolo actually played from behind in games mm-hmm. because it yeah. seems like whenever he was in the 49ers it was always like in cruise control like mm-hmm. you know Kyle Shanahan's got him in cruise control he's good to go and then whenever Jimmy would like okay we need you to like make plays <laughs> that's when bad things would start to happen so playing on the Raiders who have a horrible defense, like there, how many opportunities for cruise control are there going to be? So that's something that I need to go back and look at some of the numbers about, you know, when Jimmy Garoppolo and, and how often that's even happened, like how often have we actually seen Jimmy Garoppolo down 10? You're like, right, we got to throw the ball. Like, what's going to happen? So that's something I need to go back and dive into. But I can't imagine that it's good. Uh, just kind of off, of off of a hunch and basically what my eyes would tell me. The first um, thing
0: that the first thing that comes to mind, Andrew, is the Super Bowl against the Chiefs when we know the Niners had a big lead, but then there came a point in the last couple minutes where Jimmy needed to do something, and he misses Kittle, who appears to be kind of wide open on, on like a, a seven-yard out that would have gotten them a first down. I think that was right before Kansas City took the lead, but then I believe after Kansas City took the lead, he had a deep shot to, I can't remember the receiver that was downfield. Um, it was one of those older veteran receivers. I, I think it might have been... Um, the former Bronco or or, or Steeler. I can't remember his name right now, but the point is he missed them by like five or six yards. So those pressure moments, there haven't been many of them to your point with the Niners, but yeah, he he hasn't exactly shined. So exactly. Um, Interesting though, because I did say this was going to be a little freewheeling. We do have a question in the chat, which I I think is interesting because there's some news related to it. Gregory Johnson asks, Chubb stock down. And I, I assume he's asking because, well, maybe the receiver core is, is built up. I assume that's where that question is stemming from. Um, I certainly don't think so. And I'll note that Dearness Johnson is no longer there. He signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, earlier today. And Kareem Hunt is still a free agent, which actually is kind of a surprise to me. Um, But I think Chubb stock is very much up in this moment. Is it not?
1: I think so. I, I think that his offense is going to be better overall, which means you're going to see more touchdown opportunities for Nick Chubb. And there's a, an untapped potential with his receiving. You know, we haven't really seen him have a yeah. decent receiving role because of Kareem Hunt. And mm-hmm. yes, they have Jerome Ford there, who they drafted in the fifth round last year. He's kind of penciled in as like their number two rushing uh, running back. But just look at the last game that Chubb played last year. He had a career high in like all his receiving metrics. <laughs> and it was a game that we could like potentially project life after Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. So I think Chubb I think he's a top 5 running back. Like Chubb comes with this super high floor that's unmatched by honestly any other running back in football. Like 5 yards per carry every single year. Yeah. 10 touchdowns. And and the one thing that's kind of been oh well he's not going to catch any passes like okay that means he can't be like a top 3 guy. Like okay, fair. But Yeah. I can guarantee you that you're not going to draft Nick Chubb in fantasy and be like, "Well, that was really dumb. Like looking back, like oh, that's what totally destroyed my season. There are plenty of running backs like that, but Nick Chubb will not be one of those running backs. So I have no problem taking him in the first, like wherever he ends up being. Like it's going to be a good pick, no matter. Will it will be the best pick necessarily, maybe not. But Nick Chubb is never
0: going to be the wrong option for you to choose. And I think when you add guys like Elijah Moore, and, and I, th- I think they still have um, Donovan Peoples-Jones. You got Amari Cooper. You, you you have to respect and I um and Joku is still there as, as far as I know. Um you're you're gonna have to respect this passing game, this receiving attack, even more, especially if Deshaun Watson makes a like a, a leap that I think most of us expect him to make relative to last year. If you have to respect that passing game and you and you can't even come close to stacking the box, um, listen, Nick, Nick Chubb, he had so many house calls last year. I mean, his if you recall his over-unders from a total yardage standpoint, especially mid to late season, I and mean, when we were talking like it would be like 89 yards, 93 yards, 97 yards. It was it was crazy. It was in that like upper 80, low 90 range a lot. And that is a huge amount uh, week to week for any running back. Let's go to quarterbacks real quick. And we'll touch on running backs in a second. But there were two I really wanted to talk about with you because things happened for these quarterbacks. And I think we'll be able to talk about some receivers in this conversation. But Justin Fields in particular, in particular, with DJ Moore being added to the roster, um, how do you see this playing out for Justin Fields? I mean, I, you know, first of all, are you a fan of Justin Fields going into next season? I mean I, I, it's hard not to be, but does the DJ Moore addition really make Justin fields like hey this is this is a pretty this is a pretty prime pick.
1: I think so. look, I mean, he was a top five fantasy quarterback last year and he had no one to throw the ball to. and now he does. I really don't think it needs to be more complicated than that. And the fact that he has question marks about, well, how is he as a passer? You know, how good is he actually? And I mean, at Ohio state, he had no problem throwing the football. So Mm -hmm. I I don't really understand. If anything, I just like the hesitance from, from drafters and from the market, because it gives you an opportunity to buy because next time this year, when we're talking about Justin Fields, he's probably going to be talked about right next to Allen right next to Jalen Hurts, right next to Mahomes. But now he's not because of the, oh, well, he hasn't done it yet. Well, part of our job here is to project. And exactly. if you're projecting how he's going to do it a full season with an actual wide receiver, not named Byron Pringle, <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty good.
0: Yeah, and do you expect some, like, because I would imagine DJ Moore will be a focal point, but at the same time, we, we can't just automatically assume the Bears are going to be this ferocious passing attack. Obviously, from a passing attempt standpoint, that they weren't that team in any way, shape, or form. But I would imagine we'd see some increase here. and We'd see a lot of that allocation go to DJ Moore. Is he somebody you have your eye on, or are you kind of afraid because you don't think the volume is going to be there for him?
1: I think that I could kind of go either way with DJ Moore. I don't think that he's going to be someone that, oh, gung-ho, I'm, I'm you know, signing up for DJ Moore, I'm going to be aggressively drafting. I think that he's a player that, look, he's finished as a wide receiver, too, basically every single se- season of his career like that's what he is. He's a wide receiver too. And if he starts the season out bad, he's probably going to finish as a wide receiver too. If he starts the season out good. He's probably gonna finish the season as a wide receiver too. So it doesn't really move the needle for me and the way I kind of view it. And this is something that I've kind of used a lot in my drafting strategy is how do you get exposure to DJ Moore without actually drafting DJ Moore? And that's yeah. called just draft Justin Fields. Yeah. Like that's the way you do it. So you are still benefiting, but not necessarily investing in DJ more specifically his profile and his cost. You're just drafting the quarterback that's attached to him. It's very similar to, yes, with last year, AJ Brown was really expensive and it ended up working out for him, but you didn't necessarily need to draft AJ Brown in round two. You could have just drafted Jalen Hurts in round six. And Mm -hmm. so you were still able to benefit from AJ Brown being a monster after the catch because you had Jalen Hurts as your quarterback.
0: Yeah, and that's a, that's a classic thing in, in fantasy football and in DFS, uh, best ball too, where some teams have two or three great receivers, and you're you're like, oh, which one of these? Who's who's really the guy and who's kind of the the one B? Well, take the quarterback and and let it let it figure itself out there. So um, something to be considered there. Speaking of quarterbacks, let's talk about one more before we get to running backs. Daniel Jones, I think he's super interesting. Uh, I, as far as you know, you can comment if you want on his his contract. I don't think it's a big deal. I think he got probably paid commensurate with what they think he can do or what I think he can do. I think his touchdown, his touchdown production last year is a little misleading in the sense that he really had like no receivers whatsoever, but he does get Sterling Shepard back. Let's hope he's healthy. He does get Darren Waller. He gets Paris Campbell. Isaiah Hodgins is going to be back. Darius Slayton. Um, What do you think of Daniel Jones? I mean, obviously he has the rushing equity, but do you think we're going to see a more prolific, passer more prolific uh touchdown potential with daniel jones because to me he is like the ultimate dfs darling in the first few weeks of course it's all matchup dependent but this guy can run and he has some fun new weapons
1: yeah i i like daniel jones a lot he's a top 12 quarterback for me heading into 2023 and i relate a lot back to this isn't the first time we've seen him be good in fantasy like he was good in fantasy as a rookie like mm-hmm. it's it's when we start to look back at their entire career and it's like, yeah, he's had a lot of ups and downs, but the fact of the matter is he's had ups. Like he has had peak performances before. And you know what happened in a lot of those games? He has weapons on the field. (laughs) Like there are actual playmakers around him in the games where he's been good. And then when the offensive line has been horrible, when the receivers have been horrible, he has not been good. So yes, is he, he's not at the level of a, Patrick, Mahomes, those types of quarterbacks where he's going to elevate those around him. But when you're putting around at least like an average, because that's what he's been having most of his career is like below average below average around him Mm -hmm. when it's just average, which is now what we're starting to see from this giant's offense. You're starting to see him be an above average fantasy producer. So I think it's still going to continue. I think that he's a great player, obviously in DFS because of the spike week potential because of the rushing. And I don't think they're gonna stop getting weapons here. Like you look at a lot of mock drafts, they got a first round pick. A lot of them first round wide receivers are going to the Giants. So yeah, it's not stopping at Darren Waller and Shepard and Slayton and Campbell. You know, they're adding more guys to this pass catching
0: core, and that's gonna be great for Daniel Jones. And I didn't even mention Saquon Barkley, who was certainly a, a pass catcher as well. And and again, let me, because I see comments about, about Danny Dimes and Swaggy P says Danny Pennies is not him. You know, it, it's, here's the thing, like, I get it if if that's your opinion, and, and I'm not going to say it's valid or it's invalid, but what I will say is to Swaggy P and, and all the sort of the, the Danny Dimes haters is what's what's the alternative? Because I can tell you as a Washington Commanders fan, when you don't have your quarterback, then what you do is you go through a carousel of quarterbacks for approximately 30 years plus, and you're just trying to you know, figure out if Taylor Heineke is the guy or if Sam Howell is the guy. And I, I have a laundry list of names I could offer you here. None of them are good. So I think Daniel Jones is at least fits the mold of a quarterback that if, if things are built around him, uh, that can get you there. And if you don't have that guy, then you might have the bottom of the barrel, and that's not where you want to be. I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about running backs next, but before we do that, we're going to hear a message from our partners. killing new original docu-series on Paramount+. Plus.
1: Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Selby. To the can model. Where
0: desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve dollars and $15,000 a day. That was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder.
1: Who did this to your family?
0: You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. We are back. I'm with Andrew Erickson from Fantasy Pros. We talked about a couple quarterbacks. Let's talk about some running backs because, Andrew, there's been some big shifts here, um, some names that, honestly, I think some teams got some bargains. Uh, Rashad Penny is one of them. I, I, you know, Listen, I understand Rashad Penny has the injury history, but Miles Sanders no longer with the Eagles. Now Rashad Penny is there. Uh, how do you feel like he fits in here? Because we know Miles Sanders, when he was there, we weren't really sure, you know, if and when he was going to get sort of the lion's share of the carries, but he had a nice season. I would imagine a healthy Rashad Penny is something that we can all look forward to.
1: I think so. I think that you want to start playing week one because we don't know how many weeks you're going to get of Rashad Penny. So I I would rather be bullish on him to start the year and then when things start to fizzle out, then obviously you get off the Rashad Penny bandwagon, especially when they play the Giants, because when they play the Giants, it's the Boston Scott show, which I thought was interesting just looking at the contracts. Boston Scott got more money than Rashad Penny did.
0: Like That's amazing.
1: Not a lot of people talk about. I mean, it's not by a lot. And I mean, they both didn't get a lot of money in totality because Howie Roseman doesn't pay running backs. But just to say, like, they could still draft running back in like the sixth round. And if he just is better, then that could be a guy that also has a big role. So I I think that yeah, these Eagles running backs, if they're cheap, that you definitely want to play them because it's a great offensive line and there's a lot of upside. and, And especially in the daily format where if Rashad Penny's healthy that week oh boy like wheels up whereas in season long it's definitely a little bit more concerning pushing the draft button on him because you don't know how long it's going to last
0: yeah and it's it's the plight and I, this is my soapbox for anybody that's listening you know I talk about this maybe a little bit too much but I feel so bad for the plight of the NFL running back because it's one of those positions where it's just so undervalued when these guys are, are in the draft and then it's so undervalued really at any time in their career and it's the one position where you can suffer an injury and you're never heard from again. I mean, truly, like we we kind of forget or we don't really remember the guys who got injured and just kind of floated away. But listen, that can happen at any position, but it happens at running back a lot. And especially when they don't get paid on the front end and they don't necessarily get that second contract because of the nature of the position. Boy, is it an unfair. And listen, I hope Javante Williams ends up being healthy. He tore multiple ligaments. We're going to talk about guys like Samaj Piran in, in a second, but you know he's one of those guys that could float away, and then we'll be reminded of a, of a Javante Williams 10 years from now. We'll be like, oh, yeah, what happened to him? Listen, I don't think that's going to happen with him, but it happens with running backs all the time. Let's talk about Miles Sanders real quick with the Panthers. I'm not exactly sure what the Panthers' plan is at the receiver position. I don't know how much room Miles Sanders is going to have have to run necessarily this upcoming season. I don't know wh- what the Panthers are doing at quarterback Is he on your radar at all?
1: Yes. I I like Miles Sanders a lot. I think the Carolina Panthers offensive line is underrated. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw them have basically no quarterbacks last year, and that didn't stop Deontay Foreman from basically being a top five running back in rushing production over the last second half of the season after the team trade away McCaffrey. So I think Miles Sanders at worst is going to get that type of workload as the number one running back on early downs put up RB two production with that alone. And then you could factor in, okay, well, what if he does catch more passes? Like it's one thing to look at. A, I mean, so much of running backs in the passing game is really not about ability. And it's about, okay, what's the offense? Who's the quarterback? What are our other options to throw the ball to? Like that has like, why would I, if I have a quarterback, why would I throw it to my own Miles Sanders, when I could throw it to AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, yeah. and Dallas Goddard. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, you're no one's surprised, but when you're, You know, the Patriots or the Chargers. Yeah, well, all my receivers are hurt. All my receivers suck. Yeah, I'm going to throw it to Ramondre Stevens and Austin Eckler 100 times. So, so much of it. And so, the fact that he has this like, this scarlet letter on him that, and don't get me wrong, he hasn't helped by like dropping the ball a ton and not necessarily being efficient with his receiving opportunities, but it's a small sample size. A lot of it's noisy because you just go back to his rookie year. He got 50 passes as a rookie. So clearly he can do it. So I think Miles Sanders has that early down production locked in and then any other receiving production he gets, especially with a team that could be playing a negative game script again, talking about game flow, especially from a DFS perspective, the Eagles were never trailing last year. Mm-hmm. So why would they ever need to throw the ball to the running back, which is usually mm-hmm. where you see a lot of running backs get targets. So that's why, again, he didn't get a lot of involvement. So I, I think it's a great for him. It's great for him. Even if you're looking at the offense situation, maybe not as good. He's going to get more volume in my opinion, and especially get more of that receiving volume, because I don't think that Chuba Hubbard or some of these other guys on the team have shown, oh, yeah, no, we have to give them touches. It's like, well, do you? Uh, right. I, I don't necessarily believe that.
0: Yeah, and we saw what the 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 backup, the the Christian McCaffrey backup running backs ended up doing just splitting time. There were really three, it was, it was a three-headed monster, ultimately, because uh, Black Shoe got in there a little bit, too, and those guys, you're right about the offensive line. I'll, I'll change my tune on that. I mean, th- those guys ate up yards, and so if Miles Sanders is getting the, you know, even more than 50% of the carries, which is modest. Uh, yeah, you're right. He could absolutely do some damage. Let's talk about a few more running backs. I'm just going to bring up Samaje Piran because he's, he's on the Broncos. And I did mention Javante Williams injury. I don't expect Javante Williams to be ready for week one, but we're many months out from that. Do you think Samaje Piran has some value? I'm I'm just not sure about this Broncos offense, but it does seem like the new regime is trying to you know they got McClinchy, they're trying to run the ball a little bit so it's if, if it's the Samanjay jp ryan show i would imagine he'd have some early value but it's Samanjay P ryan at the same time how do we feel about that well i mean
1: smash P ryan was good enough to carve out a role last year with the bengals and i mean when Mixon was out last year the dude smashed like he mm-hmm. had three games where he was hitting over 20 fantasy points per game so come week one <laughs> Not surprising at all. Samaj P. Ren comes in. Oh, what do you know? Our thirty-five percent own running back, <laughs> the Mega Chalk, whoever they're playing because Jamon Williams not ready for Week One and he's mispriced because the prices come out in like July or, yeah. or whatever. So that's how I kind of envision P. Ren. I think that he's going to be someone that you want to have in early drafts because he's shown that he got a decent contract too. Like I was surprised that he got a deal from a different team. I thought he was just going to resign with the Bengals on like a cheap yeah. deal, but Bengals couldn't keep him. And he's obviously interested in getting signed by Denver. They look like they want to run the football. I mean, teams don't talk about like, "Oh, we want to trade off our wide receivers because we want to throw the ball a ton." I mean, like you said, they add McClinchy, a tackle known for more run blocking than pass blocking. So, yeah, it seems like to me like they want to run the football and Smash Pereira looks slated up to be their starting running back if Jamonte's not ready.
0: By the way, you're just reminding me because, you know, I read up on uh, McClinchy and their, their run-blocking tight end that they receive, But I read that on your article. So let's talk about it real quick. They can find an article on all of these free agents and all these acquisitions and the implications of them on Fantasy Pros, correct?
1: Yes, all over on
0: Fantasy Pros. And, that, and I, I know there's paywall stuff there, but this article, is it free?
1: I believe so, yeah. There's only a couple things that are premium, but most of the off-season content is not behind a paywall.
0: Um, so yeah, make sure you go check it out. Definitely go check it out, because honestly, this is a super thorough article, and uh, I think everybody will will be fully caught up uh, once they read it. And of course, you can follow Andrew Andrew Erickson at, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but it's Andrew, it's at Andrew Erickson underscore, correct? Correct. Love that. Okay, a few more running backs I want to talk about. Really interesting situations uh, in this next one. Actually, the next two. I think the David Montgomery signing with the Lions is super interesting. Um, I, it, was un, it was unexpected for me. I will say, I think the Lions are doing a good job filling out their defense. I think they're going to be formidable in the NFC. And I think the NFC is wide open once you get past the first two teams. So when we're talking, we'll, we'll do a different episode where we're talking about futures and division winners. The Lions will firmly be on my radar, but what do you think about David Montgomery the implications of that with Deandre Swift? Is this a situation to, to largely avoid or are you liking this?
1: Well, I mean, it's an offense you definitely want parts of. So that's why I'm not, I don't know. Look at it and be like, Oh, I don't want any parts of this. It's like you want, Parts of this lines offense, especially because looking at the way that things have kind of shaken out here, they didn't. They haven't really replaced DJ Chark. I mean, it's really been okay. James Williams is going to take a step forward. He's going to be the number two. St. Brown's going to be the number one. And then where else? Like, who else is eating up production here? Mm-hmm. It's the running backs because they don't have Hawkins anymore. They don't have another tight end really of consequence. They don't have a lot of receivers of consequence. So when you get these really concentrated offenses between a couple different players. That's really kind of the fantasy goldmine, and the Lions showed us last year they're a fun team. You know, as their defense starts to figure things out, they play in a lot of shootouts. They play in a dome, and Jared Goff is good enough behind a good offensive line to distribute the ball to his playmakers. So, I don't envision David Montgomery scoring as many touchdowns as Jamal Williams did because, God, every time we turn on red zone, yes. oh, I'm on Marquise Brown down at the one yard line, like the receivers are just falling down at the one every single time. So. Montgomery's not going to have as many touchdowns, but will he get double digit touchdowns? Like I think that's firmly in his range of outcomes. As for Swift, I it's really hard to envision like what his role is going to be. It Mm -hmm. it is really tough as a fantasy analyst and just as a drafter to be like, look at Swift and be like, Oh, I feel good about this, but it's buying the talent because we know that he's a very talented player, but we also know that he gets banged up when he touches the ball too many times. So they're going to probably try to monitor his touches as they always do. And, but at this time, Like he's not going to cost as much, like he's going to be cheaper. And he's one of these guys where in particular game flows, if the lines are trailing in a shootout, like he's going to benefit in those games. Whereas when the lines are blowing out a team, it's going to be the Dave Montgomery show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's super interesting. What's more interesting to me is Damian Harris going to the bills and with the implications of that for Ramondre Stevenson. Real quick, your thoughts on Damian Harris with the Bills. I mean, this is one of those situations where it's really tough, in my opinion, because obviously you got James Cook there. But obviously, at the same time, I think Damian Harris is going to be the number one where James Cook is going to be the complement. At least that's how I see it. But then when you're looking at it from a DFS or a fantasy standpoint, you also know that Josh Allen steals a lot of that touchdown equity. So I just wonder if like initially I was like, oh, man, I really like this for Damian Harris. And then I kind of pulled back a little bit. How do you feel about Damian Harris?
1: I guess for me, it's asking the question of: Is Josh out? Was Josh Allen the goal line back because he was the best option, or is because they want him to be the option? Mm -hmm. Because when you look at some of those other running backs that they've had, I mean, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, like were these really good goal line backs? Like, uh, David Harris is better than both those guys. Yeah. So for them to invest in Harris, this could be an indication that hey. We're sick of running our franchise quarterback into a wall at the goal line. We're going to get a guy who has double-digit touchdowns on his resume and that we've seen literally destroy our defense on multiple occasions. It's always fun whenever teams sign players that destroy them every (laughs) single time they play them. I always think that's really funny. And that's the exact story with Damien Harris. He's had monster games against the Buffalo Bills, so they know what he can do. And the guy has a nose for the end zone. So do I think he's going to have a a big role as a receiver? Probably not. but Damien Harris, he's got double digit touchdown upside. And that's just when those yeah. guys fall in drafts, I, I just want to scoop them up because and when it, the bills yeah. are blowing out teams, like he's going to be the guy getting a lot of, it would not surprise me at all. Like we're not going to see Josh Allen run more at the goal line as he gets older. That doesn't make any sense. And, and yeah. traditionally was even like going back to a guy like Cam Newton, who's kind of really the only comp you can really use to try to project Josh Allen. He runs less at the goal line. Now, is it going to totally evaporate? Not necessarily, but it's going to mean Damian Harris is that goal line back. And on a high-powered offense, I don't think you need to overthink
0: it. I think Damian Harris is the perfect DFS play because what happens is... Damian Harris is like 6,300, and let's say James Cook is like 5,200, and people just generally are like, ah, I kind of want to avoid this situation because Damian Harris doesn't catch enough passes or, or something to that effect, and there's a lot of guys in that same range that do catch a lot of passes. And then you see Damian Harris go off for three touchdowns because the Bills just absolutely put the smack down on a team and you know that they've got it inside the five on multiple occasions or even outside because we know Damian Harris can get to the end zone uh, either way. Funny you brought up a Ross St. Brown getting tackled near the goal line he had to have been last year the receiver tackled inside the two more than any like that that is an actual fact without me even looking at it I know that is an actual it was
1: either him or Deontay Johnson because we know Deontay never found the end zone
0: Yeah, well, that's true, but I just feel like Amon Ross St. Brown got so many more chances in that Lions offense. It was absolutely crazy. Of course, he cashed in a decent amount of times, too, but uh, one more uh, running back to to talk about Ramondre. It seems like he is like the guy. I know the Patriots signed James Robinson, but I mean, not much competition from Ramondre, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a lot. I mean, James Robinson kind of acts as a, you know, what we call it in the on the Twitter sphere is a, a meat shield, basically. So it's kind of preventing the Patriots from investing in any other type of running backs, even though I know some mock drafts have them drafting B. John Robinson. Obviously, if that happens, it's, you know, a big shakeup. But Ramondre has been proven and he showed that he could follow the, the three down workload. He's a pass catcher. He's big. He's got the size. So, yeah, I mean, as a Patriots fan, like, I love Ramondre. I think that he's, I think he's the best player on offense. So why would they not want to feature him? I don't know. I think James Robinson, you could even tell by the deal they gave him, very incentive-based, that Mm -hmm. he's got to still beat out the guys they drafted last year, Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris, before he even has a legitimate role as the backup.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to talk about, before we get out of here, Andrew, we're going to talk about some, you mentioned the word, the term pass catchers. That's exactly where we're going. So professional transition from you and from me, because we got to hear a word from our partners. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. So one thing, we're back, by the way, and I want to talk about the receivers real quick. And I want to talk about some receivers who weren't necessarily like free agent, you know, acquisitions, but maybe, you know, they're, they're... stock has increased as a result of, you know, other stuff that's gone on around them. But I do want to bring something up because it was really confusing to me at first. Um, we know Deontay Harris from the New Orleans Saints. We, we've watched him. Uh, he was, you know, he was out a little bit last year. But for those of you that know that the bill signed Deontay Harris, well, it's not Deontay Harris anymore. It's Deontay Hardy because he officially changed his name in 2021 uh, to actually honor and uh, his stepfather. So he changed it from Deontay Harris to Deontay Hardy. I just think there's going to be so many thousands of people that are confused by that when they want to go back and look up like Deontay Harris stats and things of that nature. And then you're going to see Deontay Hardy pop up. So I'm just kind of putting that PSA out there. I don't think he's like the biggest guy to talk about from a pass catching standpoint, but I know people are going to be confused. I want to throw that out there. Do you think Deontay Hardy going to the Bills is is, is big impact? I mean, there's a lot of other targets there.
1: I think it is, honestly. I think that he, the fact that they signed him to more money than they gave Isaiah McKenzie last year and then proceeded to cut Isaiah McKenzie, mm-hmm. I, I think that they like what they saw from him in 2021. You know, with some of these receivers that come from these small schools, and shout out to uh, Deontay Hardy, who is from Assumption College, yes, right near where my, where my hometown is in Worcester, Massachusetts. So that's why I know much about
0: him. <laughs> I've been I had never heard I had, had never of heard of that college <laughs> until uh I heard I I heard about Deontay Harris, Deontay Hardy. Yeah. So he is an elite. I
1: mean, he's a pro bowler from a kick return standpoint, punt returner. Mm-hmm. So that's how you get noticed by NFL NFL teams is when okay, like you're not the receiver on our offense, but every time we get you the ball on special teams, you make plays. And he's right now he's the second highest paid receiver on the bills. Like he's making more money than Gabe Davis. Obviously, he was on a rookie deal, but There are opportunities in this offense like Gabe Davis disappointed last year versus expectation. They're like, who's going to give us juice on offense and just turn on some Deontay Hardy tape from 2021. Your your, your computer, your phone's going to be wet because of all the juice. Like (laughs) the guy can bring it. And I, I know I tweeted out some stats from him. You know, he's elite against getting open yards per route run is top notch. So, yeah, I mean, I've been kind of a truther for Deontay Hart. I was so disappointed when he got hurt last year. It's like, oh, man, like mm-hmm. all those best ball drafts of Deontay Hart are just, are just going to waste. But I'm right back in for it. And especially when he's on the Bills, explosive upside, I think it was a really under the radar move. And I think that you're right. I, I think people would be like, who is this guy? Like, I don't remember ever hearing anything about him. It's like, oh, he did change his name. So I,
0: I think that was a really good point to bring that up. I think he's another guy that could really make your DFS lineups, a guy that could yeah. get loose almost like, I don't think John Brown is still on the roster. If he is, I don't expect him to be um, super long. I think he sort of takes that role away from John Brown as, as maybe they'll use him in the, in the short area too, of course, because he's so shifty, but I think he is a guy that can, you know, I saw him with the saints highlights. I mean, he's a guy that could just get, get himself wide open down the field. and And that's the type of guy you want to look at. Who's by the way, going to be like. Thirty-five hundred or something uh, in, in DraftKings pricing, and you, you, know, you get him on the cheap, and he gets two touchdowns on, on basically three targets, and has uh, you know eighty yards on it. So um, definitely somebody to think about. Let's talk about Alan Lazard real quick. Obviously, Elijah Moore is no longer on the Jets, but we have Alan Lazard. We have Garrett Wilson, Braxton Berrios no longer there. Corey Davis. We'll see if he gets cut um, so that the Jets can save a little bit of money there. But is it how are you feeling about Alan Lazard? He was never a receiver that I had fully bought into. Um, but obviously, if Aaron Rodgers is there and because Elijah Moore is gone, I think Lazard is interesting as kind of a guy being in the shadow slightly of Garrett Wilson. But how are you feeling about Alan Lazard?
1: Yeah, I think that he's going to be someone that you're probably going to try to have to figure out in DFS when the matchups call for him. Like that's mm. kind of the play with him. he's going to be up and down inconsistent, but you can't ignore the facts that Rodgers on our center. Rodgers knows Alan Lazard. Like he doesn't know Garrett Wilson yet, he still has to learn Garrett Wilson's tendencies. And obviously, I think Garrett Wilson can be a top five receiver with Aaron Rodgers. But Lazard is his trusted guy, so especially to start the year, you know, would not surprise me at all. Lazard is really heavily involved, catching a bunch of touchdowns, like because that's his role. And Nathaniel Hackett, as the Jets' offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett was with was with Alan Lazard when he was undrafted free agent from the Jaguars and then to the Packers. So. Lazard is in a really good spot, I think, to start the season off strong, where Garrett Wilson can kind of acclimate it. And I think people may be hesitant to buy into Lazard because like, oh, he's Lazard. He's like, he's fine. But it's like, yeah, well, he's fine to like catch multiple touchdowns and and be Rodgers' go to player as he starts to develop a little more chemistry with those other guys.
0: It reminds me when I bring up Alan Lazard uh, uh, of Jordan Love. So I'm going to ask you a kind of a yes or no type question. And it's a very unfair question in or out on Jordan Love? I'm in. I'm in. It- Interesting. I'm, I'm sticking with out. I was out the moment they drafted him because I, <laughs> I didn't even like him at Utah State. I mean, his last year, I, I thought he looked like a shell of himself relative to the the, the year prior. But um, I'm going to be out. I'm just curious the implications of of Christian Watson. You know, I mean, jo- I mean, not, not the Jordan Love implications, but he's clearly, I guess, to me going to be the alpha there. I mean, I, I guess he's, you could make that argument that he was last year too. But, you know, without Alan Lazard, they, they don't have a lot of targets there, right?
1: No, they don't have a lot of really anything there. I think that they're mostly going to add a pass catcher in some capacity. It'd be really funny if they drafted a receiver in the first round. Now that Rodgers, yes. now that Rodgers yes. is gone, like, All right now we'll get you weapons. Um, <laughs> and if not, they'll probably draft the pass catching tight end. Cause they don't really, they have a Jizoa de Guara on the team. Who's like more like a tight end fullback, but they didn't resign mm-hmm. Tanyan. And uh, Mercedes Lewis is just going to go wherever Aaron Rodgers goes. So um, they needed a, t- a pass catching tight end, but. Yeah, I mean, Christian Watson was super efficient last year, despite Aaron Rodgers kind of not, kind of up and down play overall. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think Watson. I, I want to buy the dip on him. The hesitance, you know, with Jordan Love because look, it's one thing to say that you know Jordan Love has been bad versus he just hasn't had a chance to play. Like, yeah, I think there's a difference in that. Like, and you can say you're in or out on Jordan Love, but it's based on his tape from three years ago. Yeah, like, that's true. like, and. When we saw him, at least last year, against the Eagles, I was like, wow, he looked pretty good. And obviously, that's a very small sample size. But I think the fact of the matter that should be not overlooked is, look, it took Aaron Rodgers winning MVP back-to-back years to keep Jordan Love on the bench. And then once Rodgers didn't win MVP, the team's ready to go to Jordan Love. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, like, that matters.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, one other receiver that was subject to free agent recently is Brandon Cooks. I don't think we need to talk about him too much. He's on the Cowboys now. We we know who the Cowboys have at the receiver position. The, Dalton Schultz is gone, uh, by the way. He's on the Texans now. But, you know, they, they've got CeeDee Lamb, obviously. They still have Michael Gallup, who's another year removed from his injury. So I think there's something to be said for that. Um, are you expecting, let's put it this way, are you expecting similar production from Cooks like we've seen the last six or seven years, which is, you know, a pretty good thousand-yard receiver? Or do you think there's spike potential here?
1: I think there's spike potential with cooks. I, I mean, I think that a lot of these receivers kind of ending up a new teams. They, they're not moving the needle for me a lot. It's like if cooks is, you know, going in the 10th round, like sure. And if he's value, I'll take him. But it's like, I don't need to go out of my way to get Brandon cooks because my concern isn't even about him necessarily. It's about Mike McCarthy and this offense being like, Hey, we've been so pass heavy over the last couple of years. Like let's just run the ball all the time. So that's my concern where, Again, it's going back to, and this is just kind of an overarching DFS thought with a lot of these ancillary receivers. Like if you're not like one of these alpha guys that produce basically every single week that are priced, you know, above $9,000 every single week, you're game flow dependent, like unless your team is, has to be pushed to throw the ball more then Mm -hmm. the receivers that are the betas on their offenses are just not going to do anything. They're not going to produce. So when Dallas has to go up tempo and they're playing a tough opponent, yeah. I love Brandon cooks at home in the dome against the Texans and a revenge game. I mean, half of his games is going to be revenge games. Cause he's been on like every single team. It seems like so yes. far in his career, he actually tied the record for most, uh, being traded the most times, which is just a, I don't know how I feel about that type of accolade if I was Brandon cooks, but I mean, at least he's, he's squeezing out value wherever he goes, but that's kind of my view on cooks and a lot of these receivers.
0: So, okay. And I'm glad you put it that way because there are a lot of receivers that didn't necessarily get traded or weren't the subject of free agency, but uh, you know they're younger guys with another year under their belt. And so instead of giving analysis on each of these players, I'm going to have you say wheels up or wheels down, and I'm just going to give you a, a list of players here. Kadarius Tony, Wheels down. Sky Moore. Wheels up. Jamison Williams. Wheels up. Traylon Burks. Wheels up. And Nico Collins. We're gonna say wheels down. Yeah, you know what? I'm so glad you said that because I'm because I don't think Nico is a number one receiver. I think Houston's probably drafting a receiver, but um, I agree w- with. Just so everybody knows, I agree with all of the wheels up, wheels downs that uh, Andrew <laughs> Erickson just gave. And I'll give you one more one more question before we get out of here. There's still some running back free agents out there that I think are interesting because they're big names: Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt, uh, McKinnon. Odell Beckham, he's a receiver, but I'm not really concerned about him. Of those running backs, I'm just curious. In your opinion, Zeke, Lenny, Kareem Hunt, McKinnon, who do you think offers the most value? I understand it's system dependent, but who do you think offers the most value?
1: I think Kareem Hunt's probably the best out of the like. I think he has the most juice left. I think he's probably the best the best running back of the group. It just I, I'm I the way that he's been a free agent and the way that he was talked about in trades last year. It I, I don't know how much of this stems from his talent versus his off the field. Mm -hmm. issues. I know Mm -hmm. that's happened a while ago, but like that stuff doesn't leave you, you know, it really does it. And he's a running back. So it's kind of like a a bad mix. So I really wonder like that's influencing his market because I think that if he had a starting role, he would blow out all these other guys. Like I don't think it would be even close. I think Fournette and Zeke have shown us that they don't have a lot of juice left in the tank Fournette at least offers a three down skill set. So I could see him being kind of like a grinder back on a team that could give him a bunch of volume. And then with Zeke, Like, I'm absolutely terrified that Zeke goes to the Chargers, reunites Mm -hmm. with Kellen Moore, and just runs the ball into the end zone 15 times. (laughs) And that's all he does. So that's kind of my synopsis of those three types of running backs. But I think Hunt, if he landed somewhere, I think he'd be the one I would be most excited for. And with Zeke Elliott, I mean, if he goes somewhere with a goal line role and people don't want to draft him because he's dust, I'm like, hey, dust can make it one yard.
0: That's all we need. That's right. No, I agree with all of that analysis. And I agree that Kareem Hunt is is certainly the most talented, has the most juice left. And some of that uh, previous stuff is probably haunting him uh, a bit in terms of getting resigned to a new team. Andrew, everybody can find you at Andrew Erickson uh, underscore. They can find you at Fantasy Pros, of course. Anything you're working on now or you're working on in the coming weeks or months that people should be dialed into?
1: Yeah. So I'm just kind of going through the draft process now, releasing mock drafts, NFL big boards, rookie rankings, rookie dynasty rankings. So really kind of as the draft kind of gets closer and closer, that's kind of what my main focus is. But also looking into the betting markets as well, looking at NFL futures, seeing how things have changed now that free agency is done. And I do a big team needs piece that I've just updated and released on the site, basically go through every single roster, looking at all the transactions they've made, updating what they're going to do in the draft because that also helps when it comes to draft props, which for the first time I'll be able to participate in because Massachusetts finally, finally legalized sports mobile betting. So I've been having a a blast. NHL March madness. It's been a great time for me these last couple of days. So enjoying it. I'm looking forward to the draft.
0: This is a, this has been a big Massachusetts podcast. We got Andrew Erickson here. We got legalized gambling here. We got assumption. Is it college or assumption university? Maybe it's a I university it's a, now. It was, it was a college when I was like in the area. So <laughs> I'm I'm going to assume it's uh, Assumption University at this point. We'll go ahead and look that up. And by the way, we'll probably have Andrew Erickson back after the draft. For the record, the draft is uh, April 27th to 29th. And the NFL schedule likely comes out on my birthday. Thank you, Roger Goodell. That was really nice of you. My birthday's May 11th. So everybody keep that in mind because I think that's a really big day. We could probably dial into DFS even more. But for now, my name is Sian Ajad. That's Andrew Erickson. This is Fantasy Football Today, DFS. We will be continuing our offseason series, and we got an awesome guest lined up in just a couple of weeks. So definitely stay tuned for that. And then we're going to be increasing that offseason series and having maybe a couple of shows, at least, if not three or four, um, throughout each month as we lead up to through June and July. And of course, in August, we'll be going back to weekly shows twice a week. This is Fantasy Football Today, DFS, and we will see you next time.